The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Kind of messed with Gary a little bit in a staff meeting. We talk about the upcoming sermon. And uh, all summer, he's been doing the video at the end of the sermon. And many of you, if you know him well, you know he's a little OCD. He even folds his underwear and stuff. Uh, so... I decided I'm gonna, we're going to do the video first, and uh, so if you guys see him twitching, maybe hyperventilating, just pat him on the back, tell him it's going to be okay. So, uh, so we're going to check out this video real quick. A few years ago, we began calling our body together to pray for our world, to pray for our community, to pray for our church. Last year, TBC embarked on a study looking at God's heart for justice. Through that journey, we realized that prayer and justice must function together. God has put a growing burden on our hearts for a mission field, a mission field that's not far away from any of us, our local schools. think about the students in the school district, one of the things that really weighs heavily on my heart is the generational uh, poverty that we have. And when I say generational, I can use the example of the kids that I have now in, in my school, uh, I have had the parents back in the day, back in the 90s. And uh, nothing's changed since then. Perseverance. We need prayer for perseverance. Um, with the ever-growing expectations for teachers, uh, the criteria, the checklist per se, um, it's becoming increasingly difficult um, <clears throat> to take care of all of those uh, requirements and then try and connect with the kids and teach them the importance of their education. Trying to connect to kids that school's the last thing on their mind. This fall, we're launching a ministry we're calling TBC Pray on Mission. It's to encourage individuals, families, and small groups within our body to adopt a school and pray for it throughout the school year. One of the burdens on my heart is that administrators and the leaders of our schools need prayer. Uh, One of the schools that I taught at, they had three different administrators in a year and a half, which is um, especially hard on the teachers who have to change for each one. First year teachers need prayer because many go in feeling very prepared and soon realize that there are way more stresses than were expected. So for example, struggling with um, different students and their different backgrounds. Um, There's tons of paperwork, um, evaluations that you feel like you have to meet those expectations and basically just time management with life and work. Schools don't always find a generous and supportive community around them, but we believe that God is calling us to be a community of love, a community of service, a community of prayer to those around us. So let's join together and lift up our local schools this year, that God's goodness might become known through the generosity and the love Today you have an opportunity to be part of this uh, ministry. Uh, we have a table out in the foyer that uh, says TBC Pray banner above it, and you are welcome to go out there and sign up.
adopt a school. It can be your family, it can be your small group, a group of friends at work or school, uh, whatever you want to get together. Uh, we would love for you to sign up. And basically all you have to do is put your number and your email. Uh, you're not going to get spammed, uh, but you will receive a little more information. Uh, the idea is for you to be able to go physically to the property and walk around and, and do prayer walks around the, in, the, in the school and around the school. And then also to take that and have a launching pad of caring for that school throughout the year so that you can contact administrators, contact teachers, and uh, really be uh, about living out the grace of God in the lives of people that often struggle, often have a lot of pressure on them uh, during the school year. And so it's our chance to support uh, both public and private schools. There's plenty of opportunity there uh, for us to support them. And if you see uh, a school that you're passionate about and it's already taken, it's okay. You can sign up there too. We would like to have all schools covered, but uh, we understand that some of you are passionate about a particular school and that's okay. So uh, one other thing is uh, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody here uh, in our body who has supported so well uh, a number of things that we've done this summer. Uh, a lot of times you think maybe the church will give you the summer off <laughs> to do things, but uh, in our case, we really don't think that's uh, a wise to do. And so we've had Backpack Buddies, we've had Project Apple Tree, we had Christmas in July, so Backpack Buddies was over 300 backpacks, Project Apple Tree was over 100 backpacks plus clothing to go back to school. Uh, Christmas in July is for foster kids, and that raised over $5,000 uh, for foster kids. So we really just want to say as a church, as a staff, thank you so much for doing that and uh, just showing that uh, we are a church that lives out God's grace in our community, and it's a great thing. So we're thinking about Jesus is today. All summer we've been uh, looking at Jesus is and different characteristics of who he was and who he is in our lives. When I was given this topic, it was like I was trying to how in the world to squeeze this into one lesson? And there's no way we're going to cover all this, but the idea that Jesus is grace, putting it into one lesson is like trying to pour the ocean into a cup. It's a very difficult task. But I hope this morning that we'll understand a little bit more about who Jesus is in regard to his grace and how that's played out in our lives. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 4, uh, we're going to be all over the New Testament, so uh, hopefully you'll stay awake, you know, flipping the pages or tapping your screen. But we're going to be a lot of different places this morning. But we're starting in Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 22. And I believe we have it on the screen as well to help you out. But it says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? In a situation where Jesus would often go to the synagogue, and he would go there and he would listen and he would, he would teach and he would, he would hang out with those that were uh, like him, who were growing up like him. And, and here's a situation where he speaks up and he speaks gracious words. I imagine it was a refreshing thing for people to hear gracious words in a synagogue. When oftentimes they were uh, reading the law and People were feeling guilty and people were feeling uh, really devastated and, and, and not worthy. And all of a sudden, Jesus speaks words of grace. The gracious words are like, is this not Joseph's son? This is kind of interesting coming from where he came from. Pastor and author Jack Hayford states, Grace is God meeting us at our point of need in the person of Jesus Christ. God meeting us at our point of need 
in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is grace. And grace is a person. Turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In this book, John begins talking about Jesus being alive and becoming flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see uh, throughout this passage, this, this amazing passage of Scripture, how Jesus came alive and, and that He is God, He was God, He is God, and that there was flesh put on God in the form of Jesus. And we look at verse 14 in John chapter 1. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Verse 16, From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made Him known. He made Him known. The Word became flesh. Now the characteristics we've, we've observed about Jesus this past summer, uh, the points we've observed, and even the things that we'll talk about today, are purposefully present tense. This series isn't called Jesus Was. I'm not going to tell you that grace was a person because Jesus is grace. And grace is a person. Alive and well today. Alive and well in His people and His church. So these words, Jesus and grace, in this lesson today are interchangeable. We'll see that as we look at these different points. And the first one I'd like to look at is that grace is a person who is focused with purpose and vision. Grace is a person who is focused with purpose and vision. We see the focus of Jesus very clearly as he encounters the Pharisees. We're going to see encounters with the Pharisees throughout our time together today. But we see it here uh, specifically. The Pharisees are complaining once again about Jesus. And they're complaining in this instance about Jesus eating with sinners. Luke chapter 5 you want to turn there, Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus is uh, once again hanging out with sinners, hanging out with people that uh, the Pharisees did not approve of. And in verses 31 and 32, uh, they're, they're talking to him and asking him why he does this. And he's talking about the law. And uh, he, he says, why do you, the, the Pharisees are saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So his focus was not on those who thought they were well, those who thought they had it all together. His focus was on those who realized, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, were, were realizing that they were evil, that they were wicked, that they were in need of a Savior. And we see that focus. And we also see his purpose and vision uh, this is kind of the verses before the ones we open with that talk about his gracious words in Luke chapter 4. Turn chapter behind in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 to 21. So Jesus is in the synagogue. He's with the people and he opens up the scroll. And it's the book of Isaiah. And it's kind of a cool thing, you know. 
Oftentimes they had people read from the prophets, but you never had a prophet open the scroll reading about himself. And so here's Jesus in Luke chapter 4 and in verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to his attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus had focus. He had a purpose and a vision. And here's his vision. Give sight to the blind. To reach out to the poor. To have grace toward the hurting and those in pain. This is Jesus. His focus was sharp. His purpose and vision were clear. Not only was he a person of focus and purpose and vision, but he also was a person who uh, was a person of action. And his actions were filled with grace. Once again, you know, we find the Pharisees arrogantly confronting Jesus about the law. And here they are once again in John chapter 8 is where we find him. This particular time, they threw an adulterous woman at his feet. And they asked him, they said, all right, here she is. What are you going to do about this? What does the law say about this? I don't know about you, but in these situations that I read, often don't relate to Jesus here. My thoughts and my potential actions probably relate more to Peter. They're throwing this lady down, and in my personal opinion, I probably would have acted like him, like screaming at them or doing bodily harm to them for even arrogantly coming at me this way in pride, you know, me just trying to rip them. But Jesus doesn't do that. Even to the Pharisees, the people who knew they were, he knew were just arrogant and trying, trying just to get him and catch him in, in an inconsistency, even with them, he treats them with grace. And he starts to bend down and he starts to write and he leans down and he just starts to write. And them being annoyed with Jesus, they're like, what's up? You know, they didn't say that probably, but I imagine they did. Uh, what's going on here? Jesus, hello, we're talking to you. Why are you ignoring us? I love this, this whole scene. Jesus is just totally ignoring them, writing in the sand. And he stands up, right? And he says in verse uh, 7 of chapter 8 of John, he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. You know what he does next? He kneels back down and starts writing. Kneels back down and starts writing and people speculate all over the place what he was writing. And I like the idea that he was writing their sins in really bold and maybe even had this uh, magic thing coming out of his finger where he could have like fluorescent uh, highlighted of like big sins, you know? And, uh, and what's funny is he must have been doing something like that because one by one from oldest to youngest... They slither away from his presence. They disappear. And here he is writing on the ground. And of course, he knew what was going on. It wasn't like he didn't know. But cleverly, he says, stands up. Hey, woman, where's the people who are accusing you? And what does she say? Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. 
And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Grace is a person of action. His actions were filled with grace. His actions in confronting the Pharisees were filled with grace. His actions in confronting this woman, it was filled with grace. Also, we see that grace is a person who broke down cultural barriers. He had focus, he had purpose, he had vision. His actions were clear, they were filled with grace. But also we see time and time again, Jesus challenging cultural norms and blowing them up. And helping people to see that God has created everyone equally. And God has made us in his image. And so in Colossians chapter 3, Paul actually is speaking on the topic of unity. And Paul challenges the Christians in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 11, he, he speaks of this. Right in the middle of this passage on unity, Paul points to racial barriers being broken down. He says, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Breaking down the barriers that culture sometimes creates. In his article, uh, Pastor Brian Lawrence wrote a recent article in light of what our country's going through and uh, the plight of especially those who are African Americans. He, he writes this article that says, How Not to Be a Racist. And he gives two examples to illustrate the problem that exists in our culture today. He talks about a fish in water and a fly in horseradish. I'm not sure about the horseradish, I don't like it. I don't know why, but uh, flies would be in there, but I guess it's good for flies anyway. Uh, But he says in this article, he says, In each of these cases, what allows a person to speak intelligently about another person's culture is having experienced both their culture along with a different one. When the fly never ventures out of horseradish and the fish remains in water, they not only are blinded to the culture of others, they are blinded to themselves. He goes on to say, Those who confine themselves to their own culture and never come out to richly taste and engage in others will unfortunately remain completely unaware to life's not-so-sweet realities and in the process will become unaware of themselves. Now, when we think about our culture and what we're going through today, we see that Jesus came and broke down cultural barriers. And when we choose to remain in our little bubble, and we choose to remain in our little uh, groups or families or ways that we interact with others, and we don't come outside of ourselves to, to empathize and experience and, and entertain the idea of other cultures around us, we not only are doing the, the people a disservice that are different from us possibly in the way they look, but we're also realizing we, we are the ones who are becoming blinded. And so it's a challenge for all of us to think about this. Now, I'm not saying, there, you know, there's a quote that I butchered last time, I'm going to butcher again, but this quote is talking about uh, Sunday morning being the most segregated time of the week and the fact that cultures have a hard time coming together and, uh, and coming together in worship. And, you know, I do like that quote in a way, but I also think it gets us off track. Because if we're focused about Sunday morning, and when it comes to race, then we'll be kind of like robots and cold in our relationships with people and say, come on out to church with me, you know? But how do I even know 
this person, I just want to get you here because you're different? Now, the challenge when it comes to cultural barriers is actually entertaining the thought of befriending people and actually going out of your way to identify with people and, and learn about their culture and learn about their struggle and the things they're going through. When we sit at home and we entertain our, our friends who are, are like us and always be around people that are like us in the mirror, we do God a disservice. We do Jesus a disservice who came to break those cultural barriers down. So the question I have for you is, how's this playing out in your life? Are you seeing the grace of God just break down these cultural barriers and seeing you actually become friends with people that might not look like you? In this video that we showed, there's a man, the first guy that was interviewed, he's just been coming to our church a couple months. Um, He used to ref our church league basketball games. And I'll tell you, I wasn't an example of grace when I was playing in those games. But uh, Gil is is a guy that used to ref those games and through a, a turn of events that God brought us together, he brought us together through uh, outreach. There was a fire at Wayman Manor, and you guys, once again, the church, the body of Christ, stepped up and gave tons of, of supplies and things for these families. And I show up, and I, uh, I have the stuff in my pickup truck, and I meet Gil in the parking lot, not realizing he was a guy I kind of knew from basketball. And then Gil and I kind of introduced ourselves again, and we're like, oh, hey, I know you, I know you. You ref my girls' games a few times at Ralph Wilson. I don't think I yelled at you too much. But, uh, but Gil and I just started a friendship. And it was all not because of the color of his skin, but it was we both were living out lives of grace. We both were objects of God's grace, but it was just a natural thing. And now, you know, he and I work together on Call to Play and this outreach to, to kids over near Wayman Manor on Thursday nights. And, uh, you know, I see him at CTLC yesterday. He's picking up like 50 watermelons. And I asked him this morning, he was here at 9.30. I asked him, I said, hey, Gil, what are you doing with all those watermelons? He's like, I was just giving them out to people at Wayman Manor. I was giving them to my neighbors and just sharing them. Just like, wow, what a... What a crazy idea. And so it's just kind of an interesting thing, this relationship that was not that I was going out of my way to to break cultural barriers, but it was just one of those things where in life, as you serve God and as you love others, it happens. And when it happens, don't ignore it. Embrace it. Go out of your way to embrace it and, and foster it and see it grow. And then we'll be seen by the world as the kingdom of God as we grow together versus something phony where we're just trying to look different. So Jesus, he broke down these cultural barriers. But also, grace is a person who gives good commands. Grace is a person who gives good commands. There are lots of strong commands given by Jesus, given the Old Testament, all over the place. One of the greatest commands we can see is the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and throughout the Gospels and even in Acts, to go into all the world, preach the Gospel, and discipling others. The Pharisees, you know, they confronted Jesus about the law again. And Jesus tells them in Matthew 22, they say, what's the greatest commandment? Greatest commandment. What is it, Jesus? And he goes on to tell them in verse 36 through 40, to summarize it, he basically says, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And this one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commandments. His commands were given with, with, with the mouth just pouring out grace. Love your neighbor as yourself. As the local outreach pastor and junior high pastor here at TBC, there's another passage that always sticks in my head. Matthew 25. Jesus is speaking uh, to his disciples. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the coming kingdom and who would, who would be known in the kingdom and who would, be, who would God recognize in the kingdom. And he says, this is what's happening. I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. And, and they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? I've never seen you in jail. Never seen you hungry. If you're hungry, you just multiply stuff and eat it. How are you hungry? How are you thirsty? He says, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And least not being a demeaning term. Least being how the world looked at others, but not how God looked at them and Jesus looked at them. So his commands were filled with grace. And then lastly, grace is a person who speaks wise words. Jesus spoke wise words. Read the parables. All over the parables, you just hear wisdom upon wisdom upon wisdom. You hear stories like the Good Samaritan, the Great Banquet, the Lost Coin, the Lost Sheep, and the Lost Son. And that story of the Lost Son is one in particular that's just chock full of grace, full of God's mercy and grace. The Son who came to his Father and basically asked for his inheritance early, and basically in that culture saying, I wish you were dead. Goes out, spends all his inheritance on craziness, and, and then comes back and wants to come back to his father, and his father's just waiting, longing to see his son, and his son's like, man, if I could just uh, be one of the servants, at least they get to eat some good food. He gets back, and they, the, 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 the father runs to him and embraces him which culturally was, was a big no-no. No dad or man ran. And he runs to his son and embraces him. And, and, and this story is often called the prodigal son, but Tim Keller helps us understand it's really like the prodigal God. If you've never read the book, go get it and read it. It's awesome. Prodigal God who, who had reckless grace. A prodigal God who ran after people who were wayward and, and hurting but not just the people who, who did things like that, who squandered their inheritance, but also the pharisaical older son who the story was really about, sitting on his throne judging his brother. That same grace that that kid got that wasted everything is the same grace that was available to the older brother who was looking at, down on his nose at his younger brother, just like the Pharisees. And so we see in this story, it's a prodigal God. He had reckless grace. And he has reckless grace with us. And so as we think about this, we need to ask ourselves a question. What is our problem with grace? Why can't we grasp grace? Why can't we live grace? Some of you may be like the wayward son in the prodigal story, and you need to hear what Tim Keller has to say. He says, The younger brother knew that in his father's house there was abundant food to spare, but he also discovered that there was grace to spare. 
There is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon and uncover. There is no sin that is a match for His grace. Some of you in this room need to know that and hear that clearly. There is no sin that's beyond God's grace. No sin. Many of us, including myself at times, are like the faithful son in the prodigal story who are flaming hypocrite. We're much more comfortable with a set of defined rules. Rules are tidy and not so messy. But unfortunately, living by rules gets us into trouble. It causes us to forget about and disregard people. It causes us to live lives that lack grace. And so for us, we need to think about this, that it's a life that understands grace that makes an impact in those around us. Judas Smith, he wrote this book, Jesus Is. He talks about a transaction mindset. He says, you see, our culture that we exist in is a set of ongoing transactions that play off a cause and effect mentality. I do this and I get this. I spend time here, I benefit this way. I give here and I get here. This flies in the face of the very essence of what grace is. Grace, grace hates the idea of owing anything. It's receiving what God has done for us. You know, we may not come out right and say this, but our lives show just how deep we're in, entrenched in this misunderstanding of grace. We see grace as a past tense transaction. We've trusted in Jesus as our Savior. He, we've wrapped it up. We wrapped Jesus and His sacrifice in a, in a nice, neatly wrapped box with a bow on it. And then we put it on a shelf, never to entertain the thought again. And here's our grace that covers us, Right? Our sins are paid for. We've got our fire insurance. We're getting to heaven, right? But that grace just sits over here. Then we interact with spouse or children or friends or teachers or, or peers. And we interact with those around us that might not look the same as us, but we lack grace because we, we haven't let grace impact the way we act. The challenge is to think about what Jesus did. That if we've trusted Jesus, He's alive inside of us. His grace should be pouring like a river. Like a river to everybody we encounter. Everybody we come across with. Even our own spouse. What? Yes, even your own spouse. Sometimes it's hardest to give grace to those closest to us. And Jesus pushes us toward that. Galatians 2.20 it's a great verse when it comes to grace. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Grace is a person. That person's name is Jesus. And he is alive inside of all those who have called on him for salvation. He has given us a purpose and spelled it out. Uh, the last passage we'll look at, Titus chapter 2, if you want to turn over there. Titus chapter 2 gives us a great challenge and really a great purpose and vision for who we should be. Titus chapter 2, starting verse 11, says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
eager to do what is good. We, the people of God, the body of Christ, Temple Bible Church, have an opportunity to embrace what God is doing in our culture, even though it's messed up. To embrace what's happening in the rulers over us, even though it's messed up. And to not just check out and say, please Jesus, come get me. But to actually engage with culture and engage with the issues and actually live out for the good of others to honor and glorify God by acting out in grace. So I'm going to ask uh, the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing one more song. It's a song that I don't know by heart. Most of you probably don't know very well. You might have heard it before. So you can stay in your seat. And what I'd like to ask of you at this time is as they sing, and you may sing along, the words will be up there, but I really want you to consider letting God do a work in your heart. Maybe you've been challenged in the topic of grace and maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and today can be the day where you say, I embrace that grace that is so free to me and I say, Jesus, I trust in you and your finished work on the cross for me and that might be today for you. Many of us us in this room, we need to maybe do some work and let God do some work on our hearts when it comes to grace confess the lack of grace in our lives, confess the need to live out grace to those around us. Just let this be a time of confession and prayer to God. And uh, just, just let it be a time of uh, just seeking forgiveness and then seeking God for how we may act in the coming weeks and months together as a church. Dear God, we thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you for our time and your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will just do a work in our hearts right now as we sit. That we won't check out. We won't think about what else is going on, but we'll let you convict us. In your name we pray. Amen.